welcome to my podcast, True Tales of Humanity, where I promise to share with you some truly extraordinary tales from ordinary people. I'm your host, Mika Mitchell, and today I'm excited to interview a very special guest on my show, my very own mother-in-law, Mary Kay Mitchell. Mary Kay is going to share with us the sad tale of how her oldest brother, Charles Patterson Whitler, went missing in action in the Korean War back in 1950, and how 60 years later, she met a vet who encouraged her to connect with the Korean War Project, and it was through this effort that she was able to locate her brother's remains and bring him home to his current resting place next to his mom and dad in Cloverport, Kentucky. To give you some background on my awesome guest, Mary Kay was born and raised in a tiny town called Cloverport, Kentucky, which is located about 70 miles west of Louisville, Louisville, I should say, and is situated on the Ohio River with the state of Indiana just on the other side. So let's dive right in. Welcome to the show, Mary Kay. Thank you, Mika. So happy to have you as a guest. When I first met you back in 1993, I remember you telling me about your family and about your oldest brother, Pat whose remains were never found during the Korean War. Why don't you begin by telling us a little about your childhood and life in the little town of Cloverport with your eight siblings? Cloverport's a beautiful little town, literally right on the Ohio River. And we grew up spending most of our time in and around that river. Uh, luckily for me, it was in walking distance and all of us, and, and we just spent all of our time at the river. And it was a great little town to grow up in. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody helped everybody. I uh, had an absolutely wonderful childhood in that town growing up. Tell us about, because you grew up with eight siblings, right? It was a very big family. Right. Nine kids. Your brothers, you had three brothers that joined the army. Five brothers all together, but the three oldest boys in the family uh, all joined the army. Pat first. <laughs> and then Bill, and then, then Buddy, and then Bill. Right, right, okay. And there was a time when, so the story's about Pat, we wanna talk mostly about him. Um, so he was actually in World War II, correct? Yeah, at the end of World War II, and I didn't know that until I started this search and got the results that I ended up having. But he was at the end of World War II, came home when the war, the war was over. And then when the Korean War conflict broke out, he went back into the army again. And so young. <laughs> yeah. How old was he? So he was... Well, he would have had to have been 17, 18 oh years old at the time. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's very, so young. very young. Right. Right. Okay. Tell us about, this is jumping right in, Ray Kay, but I want to talk about okay. when... You found out that he went missing in action. We received a tell. My mom received a telegram from the Department of Army, literally in the middle of the night. And I can remember as a kid growing up, you know, nobody wanted that telegram. You know, right. right. Uh, and unfortunately, several people in that little town got that telegram. But we, my mom, got the telegram saying that Pat was missing in action in Korea. And was it a visit from someone in the town? Like who? It was the marshal, as we called him, uh, Mr. Horsley. And he came to our house and gave my mom the telegram. That's so horrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I know it's probably clear as day, even this long later. Yeah, I remember very well. Yeah, yeah. 
So I know um, your dad was away. So what happened when your dad found out? My dad worked for the Illinois Railroad in Louisville, Kentucky. So he was gone all week. He would leave on Sunday afternoon, come back Friday afternoon. So my oldest sister, Carol, called him and told him what had happened. And he came home. And I'm relatively sure it was on the midnight train because there was a midnight train every night. And later on that night, he suffered a severe heart attack and he died. You've told me the story and just reliving it is, is so heartbreaking to me that not only that you find out that your brother is missing, but right on the same day, your dad passes away. Right. Okay. That was one thing that I was bringing up early that I wanted to just talk about really quick was you told me that a lot of the neighbors were, would help your family out because your mom was now a single mom and they would bring different um, food for you guys to eat. And you talked about squirrels and possums and <laughs> just tell us quickly about that and the buckshot that you had. To <laughs> that is such a funny story. Well, it's Kentucky maker. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You no, know, literally that little town, you know, you could depend on anyone when I was growing up. Uh, and it, that, was the, that was the truth. You know, people went hunting and they went fishing and they would have an abundance of whatever they had been out to capture and they would share it. And they always brought it to thanks to my mom because everyone loved my mother. Everyone loved my mom. They called her mom. But the funniest part is that you had to be careful chewing because there was buckshot. <laughs> that does crack me up. I, I'll never forget that. I was so Kentucky. I have it's to. a truth. Yeah. It's so charming. It's so charming. Okay. Well, all right, so let's fast forward. Um, we're going to get now many, many years later. Nothing ever came of it. Your brother no. just was missing. Nothing ever found. He was never found. No. So now we're talking 2004. Okay, this is right. 54 years later. Um, and you started doing some research. So tell yeah. us about that. Well, being third youngest, I started to lose my older brothers and sisters. They started to pass away. Then my sister Sandra, who was five years older than me, she passed away. And any source of information that the family would have had to me that I didn't know about was gone. I mean, I think we had just probably discussed everything at that point, but still, I felt this sudden need to know what happened to Pat. Not sudden, but I realized that I knew nothing. Everybody that knew anything was gone, and I wanted to know. And then it strangest thing happened. I got a letter from the Department of Army inviting me to a ceremony in Sacramento where the South Korean government wanted to honor all of the surviving members of servicemen who were lost in the Korean War. And I didn't want to go, but I did go. So I went to the ceremony and it was lovely. And I took Pat's Army album full of pictures with me just in case I ran across somebody that might be able to tell me something, you know. Like I said, it was a lovely ceremony and we were awarded these beautiful medals and uh, I went out into the lobby and there were a lot of veterans. They all had on their Korean War veteran hats or World War II hats or, you know. Mm -hmm. And I saw this lovely little man sitting in a wheelchair with oxygen and his little hat on and I went over and sat down next to him and started talking, asking had he served in the, the uh, Korean War, and of course he had. And we were just talking, talking, and he uh, asked me what I was holding, and I said, oh, I have my brother's photo album 
from when he was in the army. So he started looking at it. He knew from the the writing on the jeeps, the writing on the tanks, the writing on the buildings, the base signs. He knew everything. Amazing. He, he knew where everything was. I mean, he just was just a wealth of information. And he said to me, "Have you have you uh, contacted the uh, Korean War Project?" And I said, "No." And he says, "Well, you need to." Mm-hmm. He said they can help you. So I did. Went right home and, <laughs> and searched Korean War Project. It came up. It's two brothers in Texas. Ken and hmm. Tom Barber or, uh, got a hold of him. One of the first things they said to me was, "Have you given DNA?" And I said, "No." And he says, "Well, you have to, right now." And he gave me all the information. So I did and sent the sample off. And and I remember him saying to me, "Well, you may be surprised." And he had told me that uh, North Korea had, the North Korean government had given the United States permission to go in and search for American soldiers' remains. I mean, you know, they knew where each battle was. They knew where their biggest loss of uh, service members were. They knew, you know, what areas to go to and search. So he told me that the time was limited, that they gave him a certain amount of time to be there, and then they had to leave, and then they would let them come back again, and they'd have to leave. He says, so you have to do it right now. So I did it, never thinking I would hear anything. Right, right. Okay, but this is the crazy part. So that was in 2004. 2004, yeah. About now, you don't get a phone call from anybody until 2010. So this is now six years later. You must have just thought, what a joke. This is not happening. I got a phone call or had a message from um, the Department of Army and didn't even dawn on me what it was for honestly i mean i was at work and you know i went to lunch and here's this message and i thought what the heck went back into the shop and one of our customers is a retired lieutenant colonel from the army and i said to him that i had gotten this call and i was you know kind of uh, stymied as to what it was he says mary Kay, did you lose somebody in the war and it was like oh my god there's your call oh there's my, my call <laughs> yeah, yeah. So unbelievable. So So I immediately went home. I called my sister, Nancy. She lived in North Carolina. And I told her. And of course, we didn't know what it was. You know, we were just so excited. So the next morning, I called them. And they informed me that they had identified Pat's remains. And that they were coming to California that weekend. And I said, I'm not going to be here. He said, where are you going to be? I said, I'm going to be in North Carolina. I'm going to my sister's house. And he said, well, that's even better. That's closer. So I go to Nancy's, we arrange for them to come, or they arrange coming, and um, I open the door, and here's three soldiers in full military uniforms with their medals and their stripes and briefcases, and it's like, oh my God, you know, I couldn't believe it. So they came in, and we sat at the dining room table, me and Nancy, and he proceeded to tell us that not only had they identified Pat's remains, they knew exactly what happened and they had proof and they had pictures and they had firsthand information on what happened so a little overwhelming to say the least exactly so here's we're going to share some pictures here and again listeners aren't going to be able to see this but let's just um go through these so this is a picture of pat and his full name was charles patterson whitler born on december 10th 1927 and then he went missing in action on November 2nd, 1950. That was the official day that they announced that he was missing. So he was only 22 years old, 20, almost 23 yeah. 
so sad. Here's a nice little picture of him and his mates. But this was in World War II, right? You see, this is in Japan. Yeah, yeah. So this is a different before this happened in the Korean War. This is yeah pre. Okay, then we have a nice little picture of Mary Kay and her dad Aww. before he passed away. This is such a special little photo. You're very young, but you're adorable. Looks like I'm about three. Yeah. Okay, now here's, this is um, the picture of where, this is now what they sent you later, right? So you tell us some of these pictures. This is the picture of, this, they call this a berm, this little ridge here. And these two big rocks were marked by the farmer who buried them. So they would always know where it was. Just tell us briefly what exactly happened to them, what they told you. Well, it was called the Battle of um, Unsan, and they were engaging the Korean soldiers there. And I just read it over again. It's so horrific. I mean, war. And the Chinese National Volunteer Guard had joined North Korea in the fight against the United States. And unfortunately, Pat and at least six other soldiers were captured by the Chinese. And um, they were taken to a farm nearby to this farmer and told him to keep them until they returned, which he did. Right, right. So they did return. And um, rather than take them back to a Korean base, a Korean outpost, a Korean whatever they would have taken them to, they took them out in the field and shot them. So there were six of them. There were six American soldiers and a Korean man who I now have found was a guide. He was there to get them through the area where they were headed. And uh, now, did he get shot too, or did he go? Yes, he did. Yes, he got shot too. Yeah. Okay. Now tell they, us there were a couple survivors. Off. So tell us about that. There, ac there actually were three survivors. There were three men who survived. I mean, they literally just played dead until the soldiers left. Unfortunately, one of them did die of his wounds, but the other two survived. And they right. managed to get back to an American base, whatever. I, I haven't read how they got back. I have read it. I've forgotten. I'm sorry. Um, okay. Anyway, they managed to get back with American troops. I'll put it that way. And they told the story. And they told every detail. Every detail. And, of course, they were hospitalized because they were both shot. And uh, once they recovered they were sent back to the United States okay where they yes. while they were in the hospital they told what the had story. happened they okay. told the story yeah so then so when they recovered the remains this is the pictures that they gave you so this is the site there's is that the two rocks these yes two? okay yes. so that's on the farm the farmer actually buried them on his property first and then I guess the guilt of having them there I don't know why but he did move them but he, thank God, he marked the grave. He marked where he had buried them. It wasn't on his property. It was on some other property. But Got once it. they once they excavated, this is the picture of what they found. It's not pretty, and it's kind of it's disturbing, but it's part of it. So, right. Okay. Oops, we're going to flip down. Okay, so let's now talk about a better thing, which is the um, bringing him home. That was really a, a part of the story that's so amazing. Yeah. Okay. So we're showing a picture of the procession from the funeral home, but I would like you to tell me when he arrived on the plane first. Um, we don't have a photo of that, but I'm sure that was a magical moment. You were at the airport with your son and your sister and 
and you're waiting for reality. this plane. Yeah, and you're waiting for this plane to arrive with his casket. So tell us about that. Yeah. Well, after Nancy and I were informed of the findings and everything, and you know, we were like, so what's going to happen? The remains were actually in Hawaii at Hickam Air Force Base. Hickam Air Force Base. So this young man told me, he said, we'll be in contact with you. We will take care of everything. You don't have to worry about anything. He said, I will send someone to Kentucky to be with you and to walk you through this and to be at your side for anything you need. So the day came, Steve and I came from California, my son, Steve, and of course my sister and her husband and all her kids were there. And I have a lot of relatives still in Cloverport and around Cloverport and they were all there. And the plane came in and um, to a special part of the airport. And it was so incredible. I mean, the fire trucks were there with the American flags on the ladders and lots of military people. And they brought the casket off the plane. And um, this honor guard that you see in the picture, six young men, six young soldiers were the honor guard. And my son Steve said, Mom, look. And I looked up and everyone in the airport was watching what was happening. That just kills me. That's like my yeah. heart just breaks. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so it, amazing. I'll never forget that. So the casket was loaded into the uh, hearse from this funeral home and um, long procession from Louisville to Cloverport. It's about 70 miles. And we had quite the caravan and um, we had a police escort from whatever city, what county, it did not matter. One would leave and another escort would pick us up all the way into Cloverport. That's 70 miles or so, right? Seven, 70 miles, wow. yeah. Wow, oh, yeah, so amazing. Yeah, it was. So anyway, we get to the funeral home that night, and it was really late, and uh, right outside of town, the Patriot Guard showed up, all of these Patriots on their motorcycles, and a lot of people from surrounding areas in Cloverport on their motorcycles, and they led us into town. And we get in to Cloverport at the funeral home, and I swear, everybody in that town was there. It was... And it was very late at night, but it was amazing. And when I, I asked when we were at Nancy's house, I asked the young man that was giving me all this information, I said, how will the remains be in the casket? And he said, they will be wrapped in a white cotton cloth inside of a dress army uniform with all of his stripes, all of his medals, all of his everything in them so i forgot to tell you this part so when everybody left the funeral home that night i said to the gentleman that owns the funeral home who is the undertaker i said can we open the casket he said do you want to open the casket and i said yeah i do so he opened the casket and here was this beautiful dress army uniform with everything that he told me every award that Pat had, you know, every medal that Pat had earned, every bar, every stripe, everything. And Pat was a sergeant. Can you believe a 22-year-old sergeant? Wow, wow. Yeah. So I had to look, and I did. Good and for you. I would too. Definitely. It was, it was there, this mm -hmm. white cotton folded, beautifully folded square. And you, I didn't open that, but I, I could feel the remains inside. So they did everything they told me they were going to. Definitely, no. It sounds like it was a high-class, just beautiful, yeah. perfect day. It was. So the pictures just show um, the procession. 
from the funeral home to the site. Yeah, and they walked from the funeral home to the cemetery. How far is that about? It's got to be at least a mile and maybe more. And it was followed, I mean, all these men that you see here, plus the honor guard. And then there were, I don't even know, 30, 40 veterans that had showed up just to honor Pat. And they were all walking behind the caisson. And how hot was it? Was it a hot day? It was in September. So it was warm. Yeah, it was. It was okay, warm. but it wasn't like Las Vegas. <laughs> it not like, not like, Folsom, not like Folsom today, you know, but yeah, it was warm. I remember it being very warm. Right. Okay. And this is just so neat. These were the Patriot riders that showed up. Um, I didn't know anything about them until I looked them up and they are, it says in Wikipedia, they're an awesome group of people whose mission is helping forgotten group of a forgotten group of Americans, the American veterans. And you said that they showed up in force on their motorcycles, which we have a picture here and we're just there to support you, which is amazing. I know it was amazing. And they were there, you know, not all of them, but there were riders there all week long. I, we would go to the funeral home and they would be there. We would go uptown, they would be there. They were everywhere. I mean, they do such a wonderful job of supporting our veterans and our lost in action and missing in action. And, and then the rest of the pictures are, um, you know, when they brought the casket to Pat's resting place, they took off the flag and they folded it up and they gave it to you, which is, I know they gave it to you and your sister. And this is a picture of Mary Kay with Lieutenant or he was a Colonel Gomez. Uh, no, he, I think he's a Lieutenant. Lieutenant Carlos, Gomez. Carlos Gomez. Right, yeah. right. And he was your he, savior. You said he, he was, was really... my savior. And I, I told you part of it. I told him I wanted him to hand Nancy and I both the flag when he did. Right. And he said, he said, I'll take care of it. Well, he had one for each of us. Oh, he did. He gave, oh, that's so great. Presented me with the flag off the casket and he gave Nancy an identical flag. Nice. So. Oh my gosh, Mary Kay. Well, it's, it's just a crazy story. And, and by the time he was found, it was 60 years later. 60 so years. now it's been another 10. That was 10 years ago. So it's actually been 70 years, but the story and the whole fanfare and everything that happened was after 60 years, which was just yeah. crazy. So thank you so much for sharing that. I do have a question for you just to wrap this up. I would like to know just for, to help other people that um, may have missing relatives in any war, not just the Korean War, but if you know they have missing relatives in other wars, what advice you could give them? Well, I think there's a wealth of information out there now, especially. Right. Uh, not so much when I started looking, but uh, I mean, if someone is missing a loved one from the Korean War, the Korean War Project is the first place to start. They can point you in the right direction, tell you what you have to do. Right. I, I would hope that there are other projects for other wars for missing in action because there are thousands of Americans still missing in action. Exactly. And I wonder, because that one, the Korean War Project, you said is just two brothers that started it's this. Two so brothers it's not really in a Texas. set no. organization for every war. So I don't know. But of course, with the internet and things, I'm sure there's a lot more oh, I'm ways sure. to locate. But I'm but, sure. Yeah. So anyway, I just... I encourage people to do the DNA. I think that would also be a big piece of advice. 
that was how they found you. I mean, you know, found exactly. him and put him with you. So yeah, very nothing, important little step there. Nothing would have happened without the DNA. Right. His remains would just have been unidentified. Exactly. So listeners out there, keep that in mind. You know, if you're missing someone in action, locate, you know, groups that are, that are out there and do the DNA. That's, that's the key ingredient here is do the DNA. Well, Mary Kate, thank you so much. It's just such a great story. And did I say that you're my mother-in-law? I think I did, but I'm so <laughs> proud you of you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. And I would love to uh, have some feedback from people. We do have an email address um, for any feedback you'd like to give. It's called truetalesofhumanity at gmail.com. Feedback, if you have a, a true tale that you would like to share, um, send me an email and I'll consider it for the show. This is actually our first episode, so we both are getting the nerves out here, but um, I think we did okay. And um, thank you again for joining us, Mary Kay. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. 